Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. This week's episode features two outstanding music educators from the United Kingdom. Simon Toyne is the Executive Director of Music of the David Ross Education Trust, where he is responsible for the development of a music program for over 13,000 children across 34 state primary and secondary schools in the East Midlands. He conducts the Chapel Choir of Malcolm Arnold Academy and the Dret Youth Choir, working regularly with the Gabrielli Consort, Britain Sinfonia, and Neville Holt Opera, and has developed the award-winning Singing Schools program. His work at Dret has included establishing a common music curriculum, creating a network of partner organizations, developing a team of specialist music coaches, and instigating a talent development program. Simon leads workshops on conducting and singing around the world and works as a director of the Rodolphus Foundation Choral Courses every summer. He is a member of the government's expert panel for developing a model music curriculum and is the current president of the Music Teachers Association. Alex Green is the director of music at Skegness Grammar School and secondary music lead for the David Ross Education Trust. Alex has worked across numerous different education settings in the UK for the last 12 years. Alongside his work with the David Ross Education Trust, he is the vice chairman and senior musical director of the Grimsby, Cleethorpes and District Youth Orchestra. Alex's most recent publication, Music Theatre at the Crest of Music Education's Third Wave, was written collaboratively with Dr. Robert Legg. It gives me great pleasure to welcome both Simon and Alex to this week's episode. It gives me great pleasure this week to welcome two outstanding music educators from what we like to say across the pond in the United Kingdom, Alex Green and Simon Toyne. Alex and Simon, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for being with me today. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having us. You got it. So the, the first question I have for you, because obviously we're in this world of COVID and you guys are probably a lot better off than we are here in the United States, at least at the moment. I'd love to know what's going on uh, in your, uh, now we'll talk about DRET in a little bit, but I'd love to know what's going on in your specific schools. Where are you in the UK? Are the students in their classrooms? Just paint a picture of, of how it's going in the UK. So uh, we're a multi-academy trust. Uh, which means uh, we look after a group of state schools, primary and secondary schools. So 34 of our schools, okay. and we're responsible for around 13,000 children. And they're all in the East Midlands uh, area, or most are in the East Midlands area of the country. So we're looking at places like Northampton, um, Corby, Grimsby, Skegness, uh, Hull, Bridlington, Scarborough. And we've got one uh, school right in the middle of the Olympic Park in London, just next to the oh, stadium. Wow. Yeah, very uh, cool. So it's a hugely diverse group of schools, and you know, ranging from small rural primary schools with only 58 children to large urban comprehensives with 1,400. Um, 
of course, now we're in the middle of September when we're speaking, and all of our schools are fully back. We in were person. Absolutely, in person, every day, all lessons. Now, you know, how long that goes on for, we'll, we'll see. But we've got pretty good contingency plans um, to do with what we call bubbles. So in some cases, it's a whole year group that are a bubble, which means that um, they are in a particular separate area of the school from others. In some cases, it's classes, depending on, on the side of them and size of them. And uh, teachers are assigned to, to bubbles as well. So that's been pretty sophisticated in, in terms of the planning. The thing that we're really excited about at the moment is we're actually teaching children live uh, yeah, every day. That's great. You know, and they've been back now three weeks and children can't get enough music. That, that's very true about, um, uh, so, so I, I teach over in Skegness most of my time um, on the East Coast. So we're a, uh, a, both a rural and a coastal school um, and our students could not be more pleased to be back in a music classroom and also to be back performing as well. Um, yes, our performances now have to be outside and in the open air and we wheel our piano out and put out a gazebo and things like that. But that means they can perform. And that's what students have really, really missed. And actually, to be honest, it's what I've missed as well. All right. Every music teacher in the world, I think, at least in the, in the UK and the United States, would heartily agree with you that it's just it's just a, left a massive hole uh, that we can't do this. So a couple of real quick questions and then we'll get into the... Uh, the tech side of things, but I'm just fascinated. Um, are your choruses singing in these outdoor kind of, are they in marquees? Are they wearing masks? Are, are, your, are there wind bands playing? Like, what is that performance ensemble experience look like for, I, you may not be able to say for all 34 schools, but for, 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 for those that you know, what is, what is that performance rehearsal look like? Well, we're gradually getting back at the moment with our extracurricular groups okay um we are allowed to sing and we are allowed to play wind and brass instruments but we have to be very strict about the mitigating measures and yep. the current guidance from the department of education is two meters distance between each person so we've had to do two things one is look very carefully at spaces in schools so you know it's not just to do with large ensembles, this is actually to do with one-to-one -one tuition as well. So yes. tiny practice rooms can't be used as teaching rooms anymore. Um, but the other is, of course, the personnel. We can't do what we call cross-bubbling, you know, all these words that didn't exist last, this time last year. Right. Um, so actually what's happened is we're having year group choirs or what I call key stage choirs, so a six-form choir, a 14 to 16-year-old choir. Now, that, that, again, has required a fair amount of reinvention, but actually it means that more students can join in. And what I'm hearing around the country at the moment, for those that have got their ensembles back, is there's a far greater onus on individual students to take responsibility for their own music. I mean, they've got to literally take responsibility, but in that they've got to keep their sheet music. They can't give that to other people. But, um, you know, their experience of being in virtual orchestras and choirs over lockdown and doing much more practice, it, you know, is, is really bearing fruit in unexpected ways. You, you asked about masks. Um, it depends on where you are in the country. I mean, I'm teaching in Northampton, which is a relatively high-risk area at the moment. 
So everyone is wearing masks to and from lessons and whenever you're indoors. Uh, but as soon as you're in situ, ready to, to play or, or sing or, or have a lesson, then you take your mask off. Uh, and the same goes for, for church choirs as well. I conducted a church choir last night and when we're singing, the masks are off. All the other time, the masks are on. Well, I, I, I guarantee you there's a lot of music educators from the U.S. listening to this going, I can't wait until that's us. Um, because over here in the U.S., uh, there were a couple of um, research studies out of Colorado that's basically said that, oh, you can't, the kids can't sing. And that doesn't mean that they can't sing um, like you're doing it, kind of with all the, you know, the restrictions and protocols in place. What a lot of administrators are doing, unfortunately, is they're not reading beyond the you shouldn't sing like you used to. Yes. Instead, they're just going, okay, you can't sing. So a lot of choir directors are being made to not teach choir anymore and teach not only music, but other subject areas where they're needed, which obviously is not ideal. And uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, because we had something of that back in July where Classic FM put out a headline um, that singing was dangerous. And of course, people read that and don't look beyond it. Um, since then, the government and the DCMS, Department for Culture, Media and Sport, commissioned uh, very high-level scientific studies led by Declan Costello. And the headline of that was, Singing was no more dangerous than speaking. <laughs> uh, now, however, and this is the big however, uh, we don't have a class of 30 children speaking the whole time continuously for an hour. Right, 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 right. But of course, well, hopefully we don't with choirs, but they're, but they're, they're using their voice longer. So, so the advice is to be much more careful and circumspect about that. For example, in our primary schools at Dret, as part of the recovery curriculum, there's 10 minutes music every day with every child, every adult at 10 o'clock. And some of that's centrally driven, some of it is done by the teacher. And singing is fine for that because you're only doing 10 minutes and you're dealing with tiny children. Yep. That's yep. a different story from large-scale choral societies going at it, yep. hammer and tongs on the Verdi Requiem for three hours. Absolutely. Uh, well, obviously, I could, I could, we could talk about this for hours, but we do. We, I'd love to start, um, if I can, uh, changing the direction a little bit into uh, maybe Alex. You can. Uh, what What is DRET? And and in the U.S., we don't really have things uh, like your educational trust. It, it, there are public schools and there are private schools, and over here, public schools are state schools, and private schools are your public schools. Um, so maybe uh, you can describe what DRET is, what it stands for, and, and how you guys work within that framework. And then we'll, we'll drill down into how you're using technology next. Sure. So um, uh, the David Ross Education Trust is, as Simon said, a multi-academy trust. That means um, across our whole network of schools, um, we have a support network of the core team um, that are based uh, head office um, and uh, then support all of our schools with all sorts of different things that could be from um, financial services that could be site support services that could be um, uh, d uh, teaching and learning support um, and uh, just like Simon and I uh, my job so um, uh, Simon is the executive director of music um, and then we have uh, two second uh, specialist secondary music leads of which is uh, me and my colleague James and then we have some primary music specialists um, 
who do the same sort of thing with our primary team. So what we do is we are in schools, in, our, in all of our different schools, as regularly as possible, supporting uh, teaching and learning, making sure that um, uh, our, our combined co uh, collaborative curriculum uh, is being delivered how it is intended, supporting each, uh, each teacher in its delivery, things like uh, continual professional development with teachers um, to deliver the very best outcome for our huge number of students. So um, the trust has, uh, has a huge amount of uh, power in that we're able to bring students from, oh, we pre-COVID, we're able to bring um, our students together from uh, all across our trust, from all across the country, to perform in um, uh, very high-level uh, performances musically. Um, and I'm sure Simon will talk about that in a moment. That's, uh, that's, that's particularly his field. Um, and we were, we were able to bring um, all sorts of different instrumentalists. I mean, we've had um, a, a, a combined concert band across the trust that was absolutely enormous um, and sound amazing. Um, and these are the kind of things that we're able to do as being part of a multi-academy trust. Um, the uh, the other benefits of of course of, of being part of a trust is that every curriculum subject is supported in a similar way um and uh, that that is amazing to be part of a a collaborative network like that yeah it's just it's very different than the way we do it over here obviously we there are for example in new york state we have a thing called boces which is the Board of Cooperative Extension Services. And they do something very, very similar to what you guys do with the exception of their, instead of the supplying music teachers to schools, they're typically the places where they'll have auto body, uh, all the trades, uh, kids who are in high school that might wanna learn how to be a plumber, they'll go to the BOCES campus and learn from there. And so they have a huge catchment area. Kids come from multiple different schools to the BOCES site. But it, it is very different. I'm always fascinated between uh, the way our two systems work, and, and it just sounds like an, an extraordinary organization. So, Simon, the, when I first met you, you were working at a different school as a, as a choir director. How did you come to DRET, and, and what drew you to it? No, well, that's right. It was a few years ago, wasn't it? And I was, well, I was assistant head and director of music of Tiffin School, yep. which is a state grammar school uh, in, in Kingston. Um, I was looking for the next challenge, really. Yep. Um, I, by the time I moved uh, up to Northampton, I'd been teaching there for 24 years. Yeah, um, I get it. <laughs> I started extremely young. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and well, Alex is talking about multi-academy trusts. These are relatively recent inventions in the UK. Basically, most secondary schools are, most state secondary schools are academies which means there's a certain degree of freedom uh, to pursue specialisms within a school and to uh, work together um, to, to do something really quite distinctive. But they're all funded by the state. That's the key thing. And uh, this particular trust was sponsored by David Ross, uh, whose twin passions are sport and music. Oh, there you go. <laughs> He developed these schools starting in Grimsby um, with a sports program that was really connected to Sport England. And as soon as we'd had the 2012 Olympics, then that really, you know, lit the touch paper for the expansion of sport in our schools. And he wanted to do a similar thing with music. 
Um, so I, I was recruited for this and really wanted to put my money where my mouth was in terms of my belief that every child, wherever they are, has a right to the best quality music education. Yeah, here, here. You know, it's not just middle-class children in Southwest London who can sing on the stage of the Royal Opera House. That's right. Um, you know, and particularly the geographical area really attracted me. You know, I'd worked in London all my life, uh, but was brought up in rural Devon and happened ah, to sing in Exeter Cathedral uh, uh, as a chorister. And that was a life-changing experience for me. Absolutely. Um, so I knew about traveling long distances, but it just didn't feel right that children in Skegness or Grimsby weren't getting the same kind of deal as children in London. Yeah, I, you know, we're, we're cut from the same cloth. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. That's a noble mission. And it kind of, uh, I, I'm sure it gives you renewed purpose, uh, you know, in kind of uh, in this, this phase of your career. That's, that's really great to hear. Yeah. And the great thing uh, was it was very, very easy to open doors, but they're already opened. Um, certainly from within the music profession, there is a shared belief that all our performing arts organizations need to do more for state education. But state education also needs to help arts organizations do that. And we, they need actually to, to be able to get into schools rather than to have an argument, well, sorry, this is taking away from maths. And we've been in a very privileged position to, to change that narrative here. So, you know, five years on, we're in a position where you know, every head teacher, every gover governing body, the, the hierarchy, address, you know, our, our teachers, our parents believe that music is absolutely vital and that music lessons, classroom music lessons need to have purpose. You know, uh, so many things that I'd heard originally was, oh no, we, we believe in music because um, it's a, a little bit of light relief against the academic curriculum. Light relief? <laughs> what's, what's light relief about, you know, playing the hammer clavier or uh, the ring cycle, you know? Uh, you know, this is I, discipline. Um, I, I wish, I wish, I wish the listeners could see the smile on my face. Right now. <laughs> I love that. That was great. Light relief. You know, so, so, the, and also being able to talk and articulate what the purpose is of music in schools. You know, we've got these three areas of music, haven't we? We've got classroom music. There's then the vocal and instrumental programs, one-to-one -one tuition ensembles, and then what we might call events. So the concert program. Mm -hmm. um, arts weeks, visits of, of, of great musicians to schools, but it's all got a stem from classroom music. And often in this country, there hasn't been any sense of agreement about what that is. You know, are we teaching children to play a tune on the keyboard? Uh, are we developing the ear? Are we teaching the dates of great composers? Are we teaching theory? Where does composition comes in? Now, I mean, all of those on their own, are cul-de-sacs because and, and it, 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 the science, the mass tells us this. You know, how many hours is it is needed to get to grade one in an instrument, let alone grade eight? Well, we can't do that just through classroom music. There needs to be something else there, yeah. um, and that's the wraparound provision of, of instrumental tuition and those programs. So for us, clearly, we've clearly identified that the purpose of classroom music is developing musical understanding. So, namely how music works and how it generates meaning. And you know, that's as true for a five-year-old as a 12-year-old as an 18-year-old as to 
those of us who are still in our 20s here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, and so we found, and it's, it's been great, so we've been able to have a teacher community whereby we've built a new curriculum. Every single teacher has had a, a hand in the shaping of that curriculum. That's fabulous. You know, and, and therefore that means that we're able to use Music First and other programs such as that and other, and other musicians coming in to help us drive our students' development of musical understanding. So, a, that's a really important point about the, um, the, the combined uh, cooperative curriculum that we have that, um, that is, is driven purely by the music teachers who are delivering that curriculum. Um, that, that every single one has had their input in the shaping of that, the design of that, and, and subsequently the implementation of that. Um, and that, that's an immensely powerful thing to be able to do that as a trust. Um, and, and, and also, I mean, uh, amongst music teachers, we all know that we all have different specialisms. And being able to draw on that um, has given our curriculum a, a, a real new uh, sort of, well, dynamic approach, really. Well, there's no question that when music teachers feel like they're part of the planning part of the you know the curriculum that their input was not only valued but actually uh, used uh, then they have a sense of agency they feel like this is their curriculum that they're teaching I'm, I'm sure your teachers must uh, you know love uh, working uh, for DRET uh, with that kind of everything you've said I've just I've just been smiling and smiling but <laughs> um, what I'd love to do now is quickly um, turn to you know, I think you've been using uh, Music First for around a year or so with Dread, and maybe longer. That's right. I'd love to know what you're doing, how you were using it pre-COVID, and, and then what happened once COVID hit and how you're using it now. So, um, so pre-COVID, we had rolled a, um, a, a sort of a soft rollout across um, some of our schools, um, and we were using it predominantly with our uh, key stage four and key stage five classes. So that's uh, for us year 10, year 11, year 12 and year 13, which is GCSE and A-level. Um, that was our, our, our sort of primary focus there. Um, we were using it um, in class with, uh, with focus on sound at the bolt-on. And we were also using it so that um, students could be working on compositional ideas at home, um, which we, we'll talk about in a moment about the power of that. Um, but um, where we, we were using Noteflight and then Soundtrap so that students could capture their ideas um, and then bring it uh, into school where we can, uh, we can then shape that into um, in, in, you know, compositions and performances and things. Right. Then um, sort of COVID hit. Um, and uh, I don't know if you noticed it happened. Um, then, <laughs> then we we uh, so our schools uh, closed very abruptly. Well, fortunately, um, we have a very good relationship with Music First, and so um, so we were able to expand our uh, student membership of um, uh, to the Music First uh, classroom, which meant every single student in all of our schools had access to the Music First platform. Okay. And uh, we had uh, focus on sound, um, uh, note flight particularly. Um, and that meant that we could, as a team, um, set centrally all of the work um, for, for students oh, to wow. access, fully resourced um, through, the, through, the, through the platform. Um, 
and uh, we were able to then set our uh, centrally set our um, assessments um, of all of those uh, those different uh, schemes that we wrote and put together and that was incredibly powerful because what it meant with students who, for example, you know, then we, we have um, uh, some, some challenging environments where some of our schools are, um, where there may only be one mobile phone in the home um, and no laptops or computer access or that kind of thing. And so given the platform works mobile, that meant that we could, uh, students could access that when there was some free time on the uh, on the, the the family mobile phone to access the platform to do the work um, it also meant that um, those students who could access uh, the work at any time of day mm -hmm. um, at any stage it was, uh, you know we we also have to think about what what was going on in in these young people's lives i mean this is this is an incredibly disruptive thing um, so what we didn't do we didn't teach most of our classes at the time that they were timetabled we set the work on the platform and then the students could access it as and when they needed to and were able to That's um, great. which which in terms of uh, sort of thinking about inclusion and access to music that that was amazing so we've, we've kind of gone beyond that a little bit now where we we have the the platform available for all of our students in all of our schools um, where they, they can now access music education at any time. Um, and that, that sort of readiness of reliable music education, we're not, we're not just talking about, um, you know, Googling something or, or finding an answer on Wikipedia and, uh, and it, it, it perhaps needing interpretation or being inaccurate. The actual material that is, it is on Focus on Sound particularly is accurate and is right and is designed by musicians yep. so yeah we can trust so that's a really important thing isn't it that, that we know that it's correct <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> and absolutely. that it's beautifully presented i mean there was something else that went alongside this i was very keen to provide our students with the wherewithal to experiment and to compose their own pieces right and to go down little avenues that they didn't realize that existed before and so once they got the hang of this, we began to get some really interesting pieces of work going on and teachers receiving feedback about areas of music, um, you know, quite surprising that, that, that the students had discovered. Um, so, you know, things like Wagner and Stravinsky and, you know, and Starmitz even, you know, rather than what we might, might expect. Uh, but just going back a little bit, the issue for our schools in particular is a lot of them are in rural communities and they go on buses at the end of school to get home straight right. away so there's limited opportunity if you're in a rural area to stay for two hours and be in bands and choirs and they've got one hour of classroom music a week now if there isn't the instrument at home and if there isn't necessarily uh, the the knowledge from their family about how to go about music how are we expecting any progress with just one hour? Exactly. So this is a game changer, completely with that. Alex earlier mentioned also about the team of teachers, and I think this is really vital because still in the UK, most state secondary schools have one full-time music teacher. Um, now, there are lots of instrumental teachers that might come, but there's one person having to carry the can 
And let's think back to those days before technology. You're in that position as the single person in the department. You're having to try to be an expert in everything. Now, how can one musician be a brilliant classroom teacher, great choral musician, a band leader, an organist, a fantastic uh, exponent of Bach, chorale, and two-part counterpoint, great jazz musician, really good pop musician. You know, it doesn't, exactly. you, you can't do that in one person. So not only just actually connecting teachers through a trust like we do, it's, means that we can operate on a more mature level of matching teacher to student, but also the same thing can go with us as a district. So again, some other interesting things began to happen, like uh, some informal bands forming on soundtrack with kids okay. across different schools and laying down tracks which other, which you know, their their friends who then met through our festivals and our our trustwide choirs could then contribute to. So, in a, in a nutshell. Initially, we went for music first because it would improve the curriculum experience, but we knew that actually, you know, you give children material, they'll go with it, uh, and it would then inform their wider musical learning. So, um, Simon, you, uh, it may have been Alex, I don't know who it was, but uh, you said something, of, I, I think it was you, Simon, that because you're in a district, what we call a district in, in music first terminology, it meant that you could create you know, content learning uh, things centrally. And then, you know, across the entire trust, that stuff could be shared. Um, is that is that accurate? Like, or were there then yeah. the teachers saying, oh, I found this fantastic unit on this. I can use this with my students at this school? Yeah, both, really. I mean, initially, uh, when uh, school, when we had lockdown, we needed to produce material. And yeah. also we wanted to, uh, not put the burden on an individual teacher who's also having to make phone calls, you know, as a tutor to, to, to their children daily and all that sort of stuff and work things at home. So, so we did that centrally. Um, but the current curriculum is trust-wide. There are very clear aims and objectives for each unit, which is term-wide units. Uh, we provide the materials, but of course teachers are, feel very free to deliver their own materials as well. That's great. As long as those overall aims are achieved, we're happy. With with um with working with a just, just sorry, just stepping back to so working with a district there. Um, so so we set up um uh with with the English team here about how we were going to work um our schools uh, so that we could centrally, like we just said, centrally set the work. Um, now actually with um focus on sound on the the music first platform, it didn't take long for us to fit what we had yet to cover in the year into a, a complete set of units oh, to wow. then deliver remotely using the Music First platform. So, so actually our students didn't miss out, they missed out on face-to-face -face, of course, but right. they didn't miss out on any of the curriculum content. Um, so from an, from an administrative um, perspective for, for music education, that, that made our job really quite, quite manageable um you know i uh, i i managed to 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 write the vast majority of the, the scheme of work sat here in the middle of the lincolnshire wolds in the hills in the in the back of beyond right. um 
I mean, not quite as, uh, as serious as your wilds over there, but uh, yeah. um, it did mean that, that all of those students got the curriculum that they should have got. Um, there was, there was there's nowhere there where there were pockets of, 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 um, of schools not participating in that. Oh, that's and great. So, so that, you know, we've said about having impact across large numbers of pupils in a district. Um, yeah, we can do that. Yes, we can, we can do um, school-based variations. And then even smaller than that, we can do the class-based variations and, and then the small one-to-one -one collaborations. So, so actually, as, a, um, as a, an adaptable tool, it's, it's kind of it's got it all there for us. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's just, uh, I, it, it, it's very gratifying as the person who designed it uh, and kind of thought this whole thing up eight years ago, and, and quite a few people thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> it's very gratifying to hear how you used it, because it's pretty much exactly what I envisioned. Let me make it very clear that this pandemic is the worst thing that ever happened, but it's also like this weird moment in music education history, if you will, where people have said, actually, technology isn't so bad, and it can be helpful. <laughs> you know, I've been, yeah. fight, I've been fighting my entire career trying to show music educators that this, that this stuff can be really fantastic. So it's, I'm sitting here with a giant smile on my face hearing, <laughs> hearing how you used the kind of, the, you know, uh, the, the tools that were in place. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel when, when, when everything went uh, pear-shaped, as they say over there. Um, uh, just very gratifying. I'd love to know um, s specifically, because uh, another five or 10 minutes is, is what we have in terms of time. Specifically, what types of, uh, you know, things were the students doing? Did you, did you get any great stuff from your kids? Were they, were they composed? I mean, what, what types of activities were the kids doing throughout? Well, do you know, it, it, it's really surprising this, isn't it? Because as music educators, we imagine that children at home, and you say music, they're gonna be playing instruments and composing. Well, they were doing that, but we found extraordinary levels of interest and engagement with theory and discovering wow. new instruments and discovering harmony. And you know, those great lessons on focus on sound. You know, I think that, that basically the purpose of secondary music education in the classroom is to teach harmony. That, that's what, distinguishes it from primary school, really. Uh -huh. uh, and so seeing that level of interest there was very interesting. So lots of tasks completed, and we, we heard uh, from several students actually request to set more. And we said, well, you, you, you can explore. <laughs> There's lots of things wow. you can do yourself. <laughs> um, with Key Stage 3 uh, children, so we're talking about 11 to 14-year-olds, particularly the younger ones, actually getting to grips with note flight and dealing with simple things like question and answer phrases in C major, writing short marches for piano, being able to send those in and get feedback uh, were quite interesting. GCSE and A-level musicians, I mean, they have to compose as part of their curriculum. They're, they're fully on uh, course, so they were basically getting on with what they would have done in the classroom at home anyway. Um, but also, uh, lots of students really getting to grips with soundtrack and having fun sequencing at home. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the moment, the only way they can do that before that was to buy box software. Yep. That's expensive. 
So the, the, the thing it was, the, it, was, it was widening the, 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 the types of children who would engage in it, I think. Uh, yeah, one of the, uh, the, the really useful things there that we do with note flight and, and sound trap is the, the feedback that you can give um, and the progress that you can show um, by uh, you know students submitting uh, their composition to you, of which um, you know their, their draft initial ideas, um, and and you can give your feedback on there, and then then they're seeing it. You can point out exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly that that became really really useful for doing that that small one to one feedback, particularly for the the upper years. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think we we maybe didn't didn't um, answer the question about exactly what what we achieved in terms of uh, lower school curriculum. Um, and that is the, um, basically all of our, as, as I said, all of our curriculum, we had the, so we had uh, folk music, we had blues and, um, and some core theory units. Um, that just, it was just possible. It happened that basically everything we were delivering, we were able That's to right. achieve and, our learning aims. And it can happen because they can go at their own pace. You know, with that one hour of music in a, a, a real classroom, there's, there's such a sense of urgency about that time. Yep. Um, now, often, I think, as music educators, we can a little bit be a little bit too singing and dancing about it and desperate for kids to enjoy it, uh, often at the expense of the craft. Um, but with uh, this great platform, it means that you can supplant all that really important technical detail uh, through homeworks and through tasks with everyone going at their own pace because you know you know if there's nothing worse than if you're going into a year seven music lesson and you're already grade four on the guitar and someone's bawling on about crotchets and quavers yep. or whatever you call them in the u.s yeah yeah quarter <laughs> notes <laughs> quarter notes and eighth notes you know, exactly and i'm there thinking i know all this and look but the corollary is true if you're going there you never had any music before and it's too far above your head and that's instant turnoff. So yeah. that's what, in a nutshell, that's what we're looking to do with this now. Right. And I mean, moving it on, I think a little bit, you know, the, the elephant in the room for us was the access to IT at home. You know, how many devices are there? Um, what's the speed of the internet and so on? Well, we're, we're getting through that now with Chromebooks and we're developing an assisted purchase scheme for all of our secondary oh, schools. Oh, wow, teams. that's great. Uh, and, 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 and students. So it means they'll have their Dret Chromebook and Music First is on there. And there's very little that's going to get in the way of that. Um, so it becomes like a, the whole package becomes like a, 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 an interactive textbook, if you like. Yep. Uh, it's, it's interesting you say that. There was a, a fantastic book by one of my uh, favorite authors, Neil Stevenson, and it was The Young Lady's Illustrated Primer. And that was actually the thought behind the original Music First Classroom, which was this kind of interactive textbook that could do everything. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, Amazing. you know, and I had a, Simon and Alex, I had a um, specifically about your comment about, you know, not enough time and kind of rushing through things to get, you know, during the class time. I had a, on my computer in the 14 months while we were building it, I had this thing above my computer that said not enough time. And that meant that no teacher has enough time. They're always feeling rushed. Yeah. And the, what the whole point of this was, was to give kids the ability to do this on their time, not on the yeah. teacher's time, but on their time at home, 
you know, our original kind of little motto or, or slogan or whatever you want to call it was any place, anywhere, anytime um, mm. that the kids could access it. So it's really, it's really, um, it's, it's wonderful hearing all this uh, from you guys. So unfortunately, we're running out of time. I do have the last question, which I'm pretty sure you guys have some uh, strong opinions on about mm. what you'd like us to change, or if you could wave a magic wand, what would you want to see um, music first do or technology writ large do that it doesn't do now that would make your lives easier okay okay i want to jump in on this one right. so um, <laughs> um, there's a couple of things that i think um would be amazing so uh, uh, we we need to look at the uh, the mobile compatibility thing um mm -hmm. a little bit more um so that it's uh, the the app functions more as an app maybe rather than a diversion to to a web page um that i think would would help uh, a lot yes um, also um, sharing collaborations uh, within school are possible collaborations within classes are possible collaborations within districts are possible now wouldn't it be amazing if there was the facility for uh, for students from different schools not just in your own trust or, or your own district mm. to actually share on a um, on a safe platform there where you know there's it's almost like a a, a blog of people. Uh, mm. Posting their their musical ideas, you know, it might it might only be eight bars, an eight bar riff or something, and go, uh, you know, somebody asking, right, I've got this idea, what do you think? How might I work with this? Um, because that that opens up music education from from the classroom, from the school, from the district to actually the whole country, well, worldwide. Worldwide, yeah. People can can support you with music education, and I think. Um, in in the times of sort of globalization, that's that's a natural next step. Well, let, let me that's just really let me, interesting. Yeah. If I could just jump in real quick, Alex. Number one, the app thing. Well, well, uh, well said. We did implement responsive design now, so it looks a whole lot better on mobile devices than it did. Uh, we just implemented responsive design, I think, in June. So if, if check it out, it looks so much better. But the second part, um, and I won't name the company because it's probably not good to do, but we were very, very, very close eight years ago in doing a deal with a company that did exactly what you just described, a student-friendly sharing environment where only students could be there and they could give each other feedback. It didn't work because in the United States, the privacy laws are outrageous, just almost yeah. like GDPR and that the minute students put their work out, you know, into the big, bad, scary world of the internet, it gets really, you know, so we found a tool that was amazing that, that had the student privacy restrictions. We just couldn't come to an agreement, unfortunately. But you, that is a great idea, having a, a collaborative and sharing platform where either students from our environment, music first community, or the larger, you know, school communities across the world, that would be fabulous. Yeah. Simon, Simon, your thoughts? I'm going with what Alex said there. I mean, the mobile thing, I would love it, you know, just like I, you know, I've got digital concert hall and all that sort of stuff on my phone and I can um, do whatever it's called, yep. called Chromecasting or something and it, and it goes to the big screen. It'd be great to have it just really easier so that we just say to students, there you go, there's the app, go. Um, picking up what Alex said about the sharing, I think that's a really great idea. And as he was talking, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great? You could have sort of music first festivals. Mm. You know, here we are in this 
virtual world where we've been having virtual choirs, virtual bands, virtual concerts. Well, we also have virtual ensembles as well. You know, those extraordinary uh, <laughs> uh, ensembles that have emerged through lockdown where there's complete parity between the composer, the arranger, the technician, and, yep. and the performers. Yeah, well, how about having a virtual festival? All right, well, Simon, you coined the term Music First Festival. I will, <laughs> you'll be surprised. You watch this space. I absolutely love the idea. We did, we, we did something six years ago called Compose First, where kids were submitting compositions that they'd created. But because of the world we're living in now, I don't think there's ever a better time. That's a great idea, Simon. I will, I will uh, credit you fully uh, if, we, if we do it. Anyway, in of global witnesses. That's great. there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, well, gentlemen, both of you, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to chat with me. I am sure that uh, the the listeners are, are got a ton out. I'm sure they're writing all kinds of notes down uh, of, about you know your uh, dret in general, uh, the David Ross Educational Trust, and the way it works over the 34 different schools that you serve, and the way you're using music first. My hats off to both of you. Uh, really wonderful to chat, and I am really looking forward to the day when I can come over in person again uh, to the UK and uh, maybe come and visit you uh, up in, what is it, the Lincolnshire well, Wolds? What did you call it? The Lincolnshire Wolds is, is probably the best part of the UK. All right. Well, <laughs> there we go. And we'll take you for fish and chips in Grimsby. All right, lovely. Fish and it's chips a deal. in Grimsby, yeah. <laughs> anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening. <laughs>